Coming up on Telling the Odds, we attempt to tackle recording completely remotely, the Russo brothers weigh in on a future Star Wars, we look back on Revenge of the Sith, and we discuss the upcoming Bad Batch series. All that and more coming up now. Ooh, okay. Um, okay. Hello everybody, welcome back to Telling the Odds. This is episode 8, the uh, the last episode. No, I'm just kidding, it's not. Last episode, <laughs> These, these um, title amendments are really working in our favour. It's trying to shut down our podcast completely. Um, how's yeah. your week been, Michael? It's alright, we'll rise next week, it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. week? Oh uh, yeah, my week's been good. Just, uh, I don't know, relaxing due to uh, unforeseen... Uh, unexpected world events pro- prohibiting me from going outside and thus recording in person, but it's okay because we're doing on the interwebs, so it should be yeah. good. Um, well, we we put we put out that uh, COVID nineteen update uh, a couple of days ago just to mm. uh, inform you guys as to the amendments that will most likely be made. One of which is, of course, the fact that we will be recording remotely. Um, we said that you know last week we did try to record, it wasn't really working out, so we thought we'll take the week, we'll reassess, and uh, come back now and. Um, I am very confident that we've sorted everything out and we're going to have a good time uh, talking today. And we've got a lot to talk about because there yes. has been an abundance of Star Wars news. So um, let's let's not Definitely. waste any time. What have we got first, Michael? Uh, first up in our Star Wars news is to do with the Russo brothers. So uh, I believe it was in an interview. Was, was I it think in... it was an interview. I thought like they have they, they have yes. a YouTube channel now where they um, discuss right. uh, you know things. So it might have been on there. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, anyway, keep going. Yes. <laughs> right. Probably should have said that's all right. We'll, we'll work right. it out. Um, basically, they were weighing in on whether or not they were direct would, were going to direct a Star Wars yeah. film. Because uh, famously, they are well known for directing both uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Civil War, and then also the two most recent Avengers films. And so they've got good experience with um, Marvel and Disney, and also Star Wars is owned by Disney. And so. I guess it would be a logical extension towards them working on a Star Wars yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, like, obviously, our main, uh, uh, you know, point of concern on, on this podcast is uh, Star Wars. But uh, something you got to know about me, guys, is I love the MCU. I love the Marvel films, um, and I love the Russo brothers first and foremost because of uh, what they did uh, in that universe. And the fact that they were saying uh, that they would consider coming to Star Wars is obviously uh, very exciting. And we actually have a quote from them that we'll now read when they were asked. Um, So this is from uh, uh, Joe Russo when he was asked and he said... I mean, I love the sandbox that uh, Favreau is playing in right now and the time frame that he's exploring in, in the Star Wars universe. I mean, obviously, it was hugely important to us as kids and hugely important to our desire to become filmmakers. I don't know that there's particularly a character. I mean, I think a lot of the stories have been told that start with the original universe. I'd be interested in seeing completely new directions in the story and maybe new characters in a completely different time period. I think that would be really interesting. Now... I believe this is very um, on on par with in terms of a uh, Russo brothers answer. This is very much what I expected. It's like not giving a yes or a no. They're just yeah. saying they'd be very interested, <laughs> right? Um, because well, I, I mean, as I have been saying, like uh, Obi Wan, sorry, uh, Ewan McGregor was like saying yes or no to an Obi Wan series for like years before he finally was able to confirm exactly. Anything. Like, but even like you know when they've been asked, are you going to return to the MCU? And like you know there are stories to be told that you set up in Endgame and stuff. They're always just like, oh, you know, we'll you know we'll wait and see. And you know it's like you know you can't fault them for that because there's always a lot yeah. of uncertainty, especially now. Um, but 
I would love to see the Russo brothers come to Star Wars for a variety of reasons. Definitely. Is because they are very, you know, the MCU has shown us that one thing they are very good at is taking characters that are either lesser known or people that, or like, you know, characters that you wouldn't really expect much of and making them like the fan favorites. Because like, take the original Avengers, um, say what you will about any of the characters, but um, uh, Captain America and, uh, you know, a character like that, he was almost seen as sort of like the the most boring of them uh, not by me because I love Captain America but there was a large consensus <laughs> of that um, uh, yeah. and then the Russo brothers took him in Winter Soldier and made him like everyone's favourite and gave him this whole new dimension about where he you know finds himself in the world that he has uh, that he's landed in and something something else that they did really well is someone like Thor who was just a you know a very Shakespearean talking like you know Norse god type of character and they turned him into you know, what the, he is in, in Thor Ragnarok and, um, sorry, not Ragnarok, uh, Infinity War and, and Endgame. Um, so I think that is something they could tackle really well. But another thing, right, is uh, the fact mm-hmm. that that, yep. you know, oh, we're going to make Thor funny now thing also came from Taika Waititi, who is now involved in Star yeah, Wars yeah. himself because he was IG-11. Yeah, he's doing... He directed the last episode yep, of The Mandalorian. He directed the episode... Yeah. And he's going to do his own movie in exactly. The so you know they have they Russo brothers already have ties to this universe because obviously they've worked very close with Taika on the, the last couple of Avengers films because you know all of the directors from the past all uh, conferred for that film. They were all uh, pro- you know executive yep. producers in some way, including John Favreau, who of course started the MCU. Um, so mm. I'm not surprised that the first person who they would reference in this little quote of theirs would be John Favreau because the. You're right. The right. sandblock, the sandbox that he's playing in right now, is something that I think the set, the um, the Russo brothers would uh, would really fit yeah. in there. So yeah, yeah. I think I think the Mandalorian with John Favreau was just such a breath of fresh air to the Star Wars universe. And if we could continue that kind of new wave of like really good quality Star Wars content with people like the Russo brothers, I think that'd be really exciting for the Star Wars. Oh universe. yeah, like you know, because I mean, John Favreau is almost doing that same thing that we were just talking about that the Russo brothers did is that he took a minor um, a, a very minor but very loved corner of the Star Wars galaxy which is the Mandalorians and you know their um, creed as they called yep. the Mandalorian like you know they were elaborated on this is the way yeah, exactly this is the way they elaborated on them in Clone Wars and a little bit more in Rebels when we went back to, to Mandalore with Bo-Katan um, but then you know they really got to play in that Mandalorian sandbox in, uh, in, the, in the series um, and I feel like the Russo brothers would really be able to take someone who um, not not a lot of people know about, or a completely new character or set of characters in, like they say, a completely new time period, and just make us fall in love yeah. with an entire new set of characters. So um, that would be great. Yes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I I agree. I think um, really, if it does happen, which again hasn't been confirmed, but I think all we can expect is just like again good quality Star Wars content just seeing their track record in the past I mean even like non-Marvel things they've done in the past like uh, I mean they've done a bit of Arrested Development I think they directed some community as yeah, well I- um, which I really enjoyed those things so like they've got such a broad range of talent that I think they're 100% they'd perfectly be able to adapt their set of skills into the Star Wars universe and direct absolutely absolutely because like you said you're you're absolutely right they already have experience in TV they did that before they went into movies and um yeah, no, I, I love those shows. You know the the guy from Arrested Development, the 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 blue bloke by da- uh, um yes. uh, played by David Goss. Yes, yeah, exactly. He's in uh, he's in Infinity War <laughs> as like an Easter egg in the background. Yeah, yeah, um, 
So yeah, that's a interesting uh, news point to say the least because um, it'd be very exciting to see them in Star Wars one day because they're obviously um, huge fans. And if The Mandalorian has shown us one thing is that you really need... Um, or it's really, really helpful to have someone who's actually a really yeah, big definitely. fan of Star Wars at the helm. So um, yeah. I think I think you don't need necessarily to have someone who's like a super fan who's obsessed with everything or knows everything about it, but you need to have someone with passion for the thing. Because if you don't have someone with passion for something that they're making, they just like put like little effort into it or, or like they just treat it as like a, a separate thing. And so I think definitely passion is like one of the most important things when making like a piece of art or something. Definitely. Like I, I completely agree. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that is... Um... Got a little philosophical in there. <laughs> That's, uh, that would be doc point number one. Now this one that we're about to talk about is something that is really exciting announced big star wars news announced this week uh we are getting another um animated series um this whole rebel sequel series or clone Wars sequel series that was rumored for god knows how long basically since clone wars finished has now uh surfaced into something real uh solid for us to talk about we are getting a bad batch series now this is uh very interesting and we've got some dot points here that were released um it will be a sequel to Clone Wars, and it will be set after Order sixty six. Well, you know, of course, yes. <laughs> it's funny. Like we say, <laughs> no. oh, it's it's a it's yeah. a sequel to Clone Wars, but it's not after sixty six. Oh no, <laughs> no, they're literally. It's a sequel to the early episodes of Clone Wars, and it's set in the middle of Clone Wars. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Rex and Ahsoka will both return in some way. It says in mm. some way. Ahsoka's been popping up in everything. I know. Recently, yeah. I well, because like. they. Yeah. <laughs> people love Ahsoka so they just know just to jam her into everything yeah um, definitely Rex yeah. obviously makes sense because it's a Bad Batch series I don't know at what extent Ahsoka yeah. will um, be in it or if she has well you know to put it bluntly any right to be in it because another because another thing that they um, that the, another yeah. thing that they uh, talk about here is that it will be very uh, a clone heavy uh, like you know they're going to be talk- it's going to be focused completely on uh, their lives the clone lives because um, the D Bradley Baker's going to be rolling in that. I know. Uh, yeah, that's so true. Um, it says Rex is is looking for clones. Um, and Wolf yeah. and Gregor will of course be returning because they turn into his sort of just like you know um compatriots, especially when yeah. we see them in Rebels. I guess we'll find out at what point he went from being alone, uh, leaving Ahsoka, to uh, finding Wolf Exactly, because that's a story that I've really, 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 really wanted to see uh, since Clone Wars finished. Yeah. And even, like, you know, when we first saw them in Rebels, I'd really want to see, you know, how they came together, and we're going to we're gonna finally see it. Um, yeah. But the other person who is supposed to be uh, included is actually incredibly intriguing for me, uh, Cody. Commander Cody's going to be in... Com- yeah. Commander Cody's going to be in the show. Um... Because he's one of the few clones we saw in Clone Wars that was first a named character in the prequels. I guess there was a couple other ones, but like he, especially he, he, we, he was one that we saw like do Order sixty six. So we know for a certain he was like trying to kill his well, Jedi, and so I, de- I think there definitely would be some conflict between him and, and Rex. Oh my god! Because I know for a little bit uh, in the Kanan comic that the clones weren't immediately after they killed the Jedi suddenly back to being not regular clones again like the chips affected them for a while because the there were some clones hunting kanan for like years oh, to yeah. come. and yeah. so i think i think especially if it's set pretty soon after order 66 if rex and cody come into or meet in contact with each other there might actually be some like uh like serious like uh 
fight like uh, disagreements between them is like one is still under the effects of this chip or whatever For sure yeah well that's the thing you just mentioned it is that commander cody is one of the two troopers to actually be named in the prequels he uh, it's him and uh, oddball for like five seconds when obi-wan like calls out to him in the battle of coruscant but that's mm. the thing is that yep. isn't isn't gray also no named? you see him but he's never oh he's no, not um, uh, yo wow yoda okay. just says now the time is commander he never says commander gray um yeah wow how about yep. that uh but yeah so how about um, that the fact that commander cody will be showing up is really interesting because obviously we know like you were just talking about he has turned he is a um an imperial uh clone trooper or stormtrooper at this point um something that was something that i would really be interested to see not only um how rex now interacts with cody if they do come face to face again because now they're on you know two sides of this uh, of this conflict but something about commander cody after order 66 that is almost you know it, it's it's a really tragic ending um to what we see of his character is that um this is obviously expanded on in legends and comics and stuff that we that aren't considered very canon anymore but um uh yep. it was actually basically when commander cody uh went on to become uh, basically one of the uh, high ranking officers in the uh I- imperial um like in charge of the troopers basically army, yeah, in, yeah. In, in the army he was always basically incredibly uh deflated and disappointed um by the quality of the troopers at that point because obviously they stopped using clones right. and they just started using people really um yeah 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 and uh, commander cody always basically lived in 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 disappointment and became depressed because um the the army quality that he was used to he knew he was never going to get back so um it'll be interesting to see if we do see it in this series is maybe commander cody on the side of the empire um but yeah. him sort of being in two minds is that he knows they needs to hunt down Rex and Wolf and Gregor and any clones that might have refused Order 66. But at the same time, he sees what they're trying to, to, to preach, essentially, because he knows basically that the Empire is uh, a, a twisted confliction of what he once fought for. So I think that'll be really interesting to see if they do go down that path. But um, yeah. Exactly, I think, because we've already seen a little bit from Rex's perspective how he views the clones in some episodes of Rebels. Like he, he like still knows. So he views the stormtroopers in episodes of Rebels. Like he doesn't like their armor. He like thinks that they're like poorly made and like not as good as like actual clones yeah. and stuff. And he himself like already doesn't really care for like the Empire itself. Whereas if Cody is still loyal and patriotic and sees what's going with the stormtroopers, there could be some major like conflict in like him. And I agree. That would be interesting to yeah. explore. Uh, the next dot point says that the, um, that the animation of the show itself, uh, will be, uh, will most likely be Clone Wars style, uh, which is very, which, which is very, sense. um, uh, you know, nice for me to hear because I love their animation. Yeah. And also uh, another interesting thing is that the bad batch themselves that we met in the very early yes. season seven, they will not be Imperial, which basically, you know, they're yeah. not directly uh, saying it, but uh, the connotation of that is that their chips are, uh, uh, basically didn't uh, make them obey Order 66. Yeah. Or maybe they don't even have chips at all, which is... Which... I think it would make sense that they don't have chips considering they're like kind of like defects. Yeah, well, that's, an, that's something that I've been thinking about the moment we uh, uh, Season 7 wrapped up is, A, did Bad Batch follow Order 66? And um, the other thing that I was always uh, thinking about is when I looked, when I went back and watched season seven again, I noticed that people like um, Wrecker, the big, like, you know, Hulk of the Bad Batch, yep. he's got like a scar that protrudes from like the side of his head and goes all around his face and his eyes. And I thought, 
Oh, that might be sort of like, you know, something to do with the chip in that it's either not there or, referencing it or already. never worked. Like, you know, I, 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 yeah, exactly. I was always very curious about where that would go. And uh, it sounds to me like they're going to elaborate on that because they are not Imperial. So um, that'll be really interesting for me to see. And it also means we'll get to see more of Echo. Uh, and um, Echo, who was just reintroduced at the start of Season 7, will most likely um, get to come back. So that's awesome. Um, because who knows what, uh, you know, effect they might have on... It might have, ha- might have you know, been dealt onto Echo because he was experimented on, like, you know, he was hooked up to wires and stuff. I don't know how, mu- that, how that might have, like, you know, altered the chip that he has inside of him, but who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the idea that they were kind of hinting at that because it was clear from the start of season seven that they were building up to an Order sixty six, uh, like ending, and they would have known at that point that they were continuing on the Bad Batch in this television show at least, at, at very at the very least, planning on doing it. And so I like the idea that they were kind of like putting hints in there to like you could look, go back to those episodes and think, oh yeah, they were already setting it up in these kind of exactly, ways. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's an- um. I'm getting on to the animation style you were saying. Yeah. So we've had three animations of CGI, and there's a couple of, like, 2D animated ones in the past, but, like, the main three CGI, you've got Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance, and each one has kind of gotten more cartoony, more goofy. Yeah. Um, I definitely think Clone Wars is animation style's my favorite, and it definitely grew on me a lot more as the show went on. Like, originally, it's not great. But by season six, seven, like it's perfect, pretty much in my opinion. And so I do, I do not only think that one, it's my favorite animation style, but like two, it just makes sense considering it's meant to be like a sequel to the Clone Wars. It's continuing on this story post where it was set, set off, but with different characters, different, different way of going on. No longer from the perspective of the Jedi, but from the clones centrally. I think it makes sense, and that's a good choice with that. For style. sure, yeah, no, uh, I, there is absolutely no question that the Clone Wars animation is uh, is my favorite. It makes sense. The so the season seven animation is is absolutely beautiful, um, and the fact that they can elaborate on that animation style for what it sounds like to be an entire show instead of just a singular season is uh, is really exciting. Something else that they've actually um, given us is that Dave Filoni, the great Dave Filoni, will not be the showrunner. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like you know. It, right. but it, it's, which is interesting, but it also doesn't mean that he's not going to be, you know, part of it. He, right, he wasn't exactly. the show. He'll a hundred percent have a hand in it. If like characters that he created are there, they'll at the very least consult. Exactly. Like, you know, Dave Filoni wasn't the showrunner for the Mandalorian. John Favreau was, and yet he's still no. incredibly but included. He, so he was the man, he was the showrunner for Clone Wars, Rebels, and I believe Resistance as well. Yeah. So uh, while he's not every, not every single TV show has done it with him, all of the animation ones have so far, because he's got the background in animation. So I would be interested to know who is show running or if it is like run like that, because yeah, he has got that background in animation. He understands like having done three shows how to do it. But but like I guess it would be interesting to get a new voice uh, while still like using like consulting with him or at least having him maybe uh, like direct some of it or like be involved in some of it like getting a new voice to tell these characters could be interesting especially with the bad batch who we've really only experienced a little bit of in those couple of episodes and getting a major show more centrally around those characters 
it would be interesting to get a new voice for I would completely agree, yeah. Um, you know, because there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of different creative voices now after we have The Mandalorian. There's so many people who have had their... Um, their play in what we've been talking about as the Star Wars sandbox, that there are so many different people mm. that you can sort of attach to this and I think would do a great job. Uh, obviously, Dave Filoni is um, the, mode, the most uh, house-held name in terms of Star Wars animation, but, you know, as Yoda says, there is another. So there's always another. So, um, and the... And the last thing that uh, we sort of yeah. want to talk about, we did say that it, that the show will be very clone heavy, but um, in terms of the premise and the thematic ideas that the that the show will cover, um, it will be dealing with the trauma following Order sixty six and trying to find a purpose in this new empire that they find themselves in. Uh, I love this yeah. mainly just because of the fact that um, I've always, I, if I was ever going to see like Rex, a Star Wars story as like a movie, or now what we now see as a as a TV series, something that would bring really interesting is um, you know something that we were literally just talking about with the Russo brothers a, a main theme sort of like you know with Captain America he doesn't know how to live without a war I'd love to see that from Rex's mm. perspective because all he knows is war it's yeah. all he knows and like you know he says it to five uh, fives at the end of the um, Umbara arc in season four like you know one day this war is going to end and then Rex says but then what we're soldiers what happens to us then that answer will be answered th- th- that question will be answered in this show which i'm so looking forward to and i would really want to um, yeah. focus on that whole um because you know ptsd and soldiers is something that's been elaborated on in god knows how many films and and, and tv series right. but something like that being focused on in the star wars universe is something we haven't seen so um that would be really interesting so i can't wait to have them uh, elaborate on that a bit more because like they said they are in the era of the empire now and we've saw and we've seen uh rex wolf and gregor um at the time in which they basically found their place uh in in the world but i want to see that i'm be looking forward to seeing um them finding that place uh prior to when we see them for the first time in rebels so yeah Definitely. And uh, that basically brings that um, discussion in terms of the dot points we have to a close. Um, yeah, Bad yeah. Batch series heading, hitting Disney Plus uh, in 2021. I'm so looking forward to it. Definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to be excited about Star Wars content in the future because after, like, as of right now, we're in a real unknown era for, like, films that may or may not show up in the future. Exactly. So yeah. it definitely is, is exciting to, like, have this, uh, have this, these things that we know are definitely coming up that we can be excited for based on one past things that they're similar to which we've enjoyed and two just exciting new star wars content to explore parts of the universe we haven't seen before agreed uh so yeah that brings our news uh segment to a close and now we're going to get into our main discussion uh our main discussion being the third installment in our star wars in our skywalker saga retrospective which of course brings us to the third prequel uh uh, revenge of the sith um much like we did two weeks ago um, much like we did three weeks ago when we talked about uh Attack of the Clones, uh, well, I think it was three weeks ago, doesn't matter, um, we are going to look back on Revenge of the Sith and um, talk about what we like, what we don't like, uh, what holds up to this point, and uh, what we would have uh, done differently or how we would have reacted to certain things if we were there in 2005, uh, which we weren't because yep. we were four at the time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we were there, but we weren't at the cinemas or watching anything. That's true. That is actually very true. Uh, because yeah, I didn't actually watch this film till like, I think I was like 10, maybe. I wasn't allowed to. Yeah. My parents didn't let me watch it because of all the, oh, no, we can't watch that. It's lava and uh, violence. <laughs> yeah. Um, Spooky. Yeah, but no, I, I, I've i seen Revenge of the Sith God knows how many times now. And, um, well, exactly. we can get into it now. Uh, I do like this movie. 
Let's just jump right into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Spy f- really steps up quality in terms of, like, I think Phantom Menace is fun and has some flaws, but it's fun. Attack of the Clones, it really drags a lot of parts. It's pretty weak, but this yeah. film, straight on the get-go, is just feels like such more of a fun and, and energetic, but also, like, more a greater depth film i think straight off the bat i agree and like that's our first dot point here is that uh, like literally the moment that the uh that the film starts like you know in phantom menace you have them arriving at the trade federation ship and attack of the clones you get this all this you know padme you know corday is dead or whatever like on the on the landing platform there's a lot of um uh you know slow build up to what we then get to see as anakin and everyone but from second number one fighters are flying in and there's explosions and there are top Coruscant and you can see that we are not only in the thick of the Clone Wars but from second number one Mm. um, you know in the small amount of Clone Wars we see throughout the actual films the opening scene shows it very very well Um, so yeah no I would completely agree with that Michael and something else that is elaborated on very quickly and you get to see it is um, we were talking about with our Attack of the Clones discussion that something that you know, we always wanted to see is uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan's friendship because obviously Obi-Wan says he was a good friend when yeah. he says to Luke, we never really saw that in Attack of the Clones. It's, it's They're almost like at their throats, uh, at each other's throats the entire time. Yeah, the friendship just, like most of the time they're kind of like antagonistic towards each other, but then they throw little like quote-unquote friendship moments in there, but they just feel like really ungen- ingenuine, uh, disingenuous, that's exactly it. Uh, and and like force that just like it doesn't feel natural this friendship that's supposed to be between no that it it really feels like dialogue not just a conversation yeah like exactly. um yeah so it was definitely in this one you can straight away tell like it makes a lot more sense a lot of the uh like like little jokes or things they have I feel like. yeah the rapport between them is just overall better and something that I actually really like you know just found funny is like you know it's elaborated on in Clone Wars and then you get to see it here is um Obi-Wan really couldn't give two shits about R4 his droid his astromech droid yeah. like literally in Clone Wars yeah. Anakin like you know when he he loses R2 and he literally goes on like a two episode arc to find him and then like in, in yeah. season 6 when he blows up with a cruiser he's like I need a a, a, a a salvaging crew out there now and then he cares so much about R2 and then literally R4 gets mm. his head ripped off by a buzz droid and everyone's like oh dear and then he just keeps moving so <laughs> yeah um Seven. The CGI in Revenge of the Sith is also much better than the than its predecessors because it's yeah, very yeah. It's definitely it's, like it's it's progressed on um like the the, the quality of the uh, of the they 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 still rely on it a fair amount. It, I feel like it's not quite like Phantom Menace where it was more of a mixture of the two. Yeah, but definitely it's a lot less noticeable that it's just like all up in their face. Yeah. I feel like, like I, I would every so often you get one, but but most of the time it's generally pretty. Yeah, good. I mean pretty much every every scene is special effects because there's a green screen involved everywhere and um mm. uh, which is you know it's you know it's what george lucas was going for with, with the prequels but also you know it sort of shows that this whole era that george lucas wanted to expand on with the um with the age of digital effects in film he really you know hit his mark in revenge of the sith like he had almost basically um uh, mastered it because yes there is a lot of it but or the lot of it that you see is is well done. It actually doesn't look. It's it's not like it looks bad. It looks bad maybe once or yep. twice, but uh, but overall it's 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 quite good. Um, so yeah, that's that's the CGI. Um, and basically the the first set piece that you get in the film is obviously set completely on Grievous's ship, the Invisible Hand. Um, getting getting yeah. into General Grievous's uh, first appearance when he when he comes onto the bridge. Um, 
Mm. We'd never seen him, of course, up until this point in 2005. And uh, his first appearance is menacing. Um, but there's this thing that obviously is well known at this point about his cough. And he, he's always coughing. Now, it's a, it's mm. an interesting character, um, you know, feature. And, like, it, it sort of helps to humanize him in a way that he's not just this relentless droid. Like, you know, he's obviously got something wrong with him. But... I mean, I'm, I'd be lying if it doesn't get annoying sometimes when he's just always going, <coughs> but, you know, that's just me. Um, yeah. Look, uh, I, I admit it's like, it's it can be definitely annoying, especially because it's like very frequent throughout his scenes. But I definitely think it is part of his character of like this barely cobbled together, barely surviving cyborg of just like, he at this point, he's like, uh, he's more droid than he is man, but like his 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 human organic part, or not human, his Kalish, I think? Kalish, Kalish yes. organic parts are still holding him back. And I don't know, I think that's interesting, interesting uh, exploration. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the fact that he's not in either two of the first prequels can sort of turn you, like, you know, if it's not done properly, can sort of turn it into a character that you don't really care about because you've never seen him, you're not invested in him. But they do a good job of making yep. him, you know, menacing and, like, showing this is the bad guy uh, very early on, and I think it's well handled. And there are many other attempts at humour, I feel like, especially in this certain element of the film that like we said it's it's, yeah. it's definitely better than the last couple than the last times we've seen it but it still sort of falls short sometimes with the battle droids in the elevator and yeah. you know the super battle droids with r2d2 when they're like slipping and it sort of turns into a, like a tom and jerry sketch where he lights them on fire like it's it's funny yeah. but it's also just like <laughs> yeah. i think i personally feel like in my opinion r2d2 as much as yeah it can it's like kind of forced like it's might tonally be very different from the rest of the film r2d2 in my opinion works so much better as a comedy relief in like that thing than like the way that c-3po was tried to be used in the last yeah like because he is he doesn't have a voice so he it's not just puns like there is actually kind of more like not slapstick kind of slapstick more visual comedy so i think it works and it's certainly it's not too long it's like the one kind of joke scene with them and then there's like a th- scene where he's like thrown through a door yeah uh and then like falls down but otherwise he's generally he's all right i, I feel like this is i think this is one of the most films where r2 kind of goes god mode where he's like <laughs> solving like all the problems of everyone but then again he does make a couple of mistakes with the elevator whereas like there is that joke where like the prequels are, are told from r2d2's perspective where he's like making himself incredibly important and in things which i do find funny. yeah well like you know they've said basically that r2d2 being in every film is other than solo is sort of you know the narrator of the story like you know so that's an interesting yeah. idea um yeah I, I agree with you in terms of the physical comedy like i don't think either c3po or r2d2 work well in terms of um physical comedy but definitely if you had to pick one or the one um one of the two r2d2 would be the most preferable and something else that i actually um found out in this scene or sort of just like you know thought about because i had watched the clone wars before I watched Revenge of the Sith, just, you know, by chance. And obviously you yep. see all the super battle droids in the Clone Wars, they have that deep, like, like you know, <laughs> they've got a really deep voice, um, which is different from the uh, from the battle droids. And then in yeah. this movie, you hear them go, that was our Jedi fighters, all right. Hey, you! And so, like, yeah, they're, they're, like, they're like, they're like totally they, they, was, they had like kind of deep, yeah, deep, like menacing voices in the first yeah. one. Yeah, and, and this, they're just given basically the regular battle droid. They were clearly running low on like parts. So they're just like, okay, give them just give them a b1 battle droid <laughs> yes. voice box yeah the, the, the yeah the, the head cannon is they just they ran out of super battle droid really cool menacing voice boxes so they just gave them the regular battle droid yeah ones. they spent them all up on grievous 
Yep. Anyway, uh, so that and brings us to Anakin and Obi-Wan's, uh, uh, you know, fight with Count Dooku when they first show up to, uh, to, to Palpatine. Um, something that I also just found interesting when he goes, like, get help, you, there's, you're no match for him, he's a Sith Lord. Obi-Wan says... Uh, Sith Lords are our speciality, speciality except for the fact that in the yeah. last film uh, you both got turned into sushi by Count Dooku but whatever um, so it's because this time they're going to do it together oh hell yeah so, <laughs> uh, so yeah the, the fight with Count Dooku itself uh, it's much better than the Attack of the Clones version I'll say that but sometimes it's yeah. still poorly choreographed in certain points the CGI like we were just talking about goes in and out um, but overall it's, it's, it, it is better I'll say that yeah. Um, because, like, you know, the I think that when it starts out, the choreography and the fight itself is is good when they're both involved and then Obi-Wan gets knocked out and it just turns into hmm. um, uh, Count Dooku and Anakin. And I swear to God, there were some points where, like, Anakin's lightsaber is, hold, is held in place and then, and then Count Dooku, like, swings and hits that directly. Like, you can tell that it's... It, it, yeah. it's like clearly it, I, yeah. I, I, I don't, and I don't mean it for all of it because most part it's good but there are certain parts where yep. you can tell it's 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 staged um, and also I was just yeah. I just mentioned the CGI uh, when Kant Dooku decides to like break off the ledge and try to smoosh Obi-Wan Ooh, boy, that's um. There, there's some questionable CGI there. You got to go back and watch it. Oh, that's probably, in my opinion, the weakest part of it. Like, it's got some wonky physics, and it kind of looks like it clips through Obi Wan's chest I know. a bit. It's which yeah. either one is an error or two. Rip Obi Wan's rib cage. I know it's pretty dodgy. And the other thing that I actually saw is that at one point when they're on that ledge, right before Obi Wan uh, gets knocked out, is there's a scene where you actually, you know, Count Dooku basically turns his face to camera, and you know, it's well known that Christopher being an elderly gentleman yeah. it was a stunt double the entire time and they just see uh, you know, Christopher Lee's face onto the dude's face yes. at one point he turns that face and good god is it a noticeable uh, facial reconstruction um <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's doozy. Yeah, I, I I feel like I wanted to go and like you know get the time code to like you know show you guys where it is, but uh, we don't have that here. I just know that it was um it was questionable to say the least. Um, but following that lightsaber duel uh, directly, obviously you get to see um Anakin with the lightsaber, Mister Count Dooku's throat. Um, now originally I actually found this out that originally in the script Count Dooku actually begged for his life. Which is interesting because yeah. um, Christopher Lee made George Lucas uh, basically change that because he convinced him that that wasn't in Count Dooku's character. But something else that is interesting and is basically the overall thematic layer of this little you know part of the fight is um, Palpatine's corruption of Anakin is shown very well mm. because he like right before he kills him he's just like you know I shouldn't do it it's not the Jedi way and then Palpatine with his amazingly memeable menacing. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Uh, you know, he, he kills him right after. So, like, you know, it's 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 in little tidbits that I think show it well. And another thing that's just comedic is that right after he cuts off his head, you literally see Dooku's head roll across the ground. <laughs> the roll. Uh, which is... Oh, very good. Which is funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's my favourite part of the opening of the film itself, is that Anakin tries to critique his own decisions rightfully because he knows um, that they're bad. Yeah. But Palpatine tells him it's okay. Uh, always making Anakin feel at ease while retroactively yeah. telling him that it's all right to choose the violent solution. Essentially, that's what he's saying to him. And Anakin is completely, Definitely. you know, he's made it so that Anakin's completely oblivious to the fact that he's actually trying, you know, 
to to do that and um so because mm-hmm. he plays into the specific things that anakin's like most fearful for yeah because the thing we've learned anakin his like biggest problem is fear fear leads to hate hate leads to anger no anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering whatever. yeah like that's like that's the path he's he's moving anakin to the dark side from like uh yoda picked it up from the start and so he's appealing to that like He's a, well, later on, he appeals to the fear of losing Anakin, but in this, he kind of, like, builds up the hate. Like, it was revenge. You just simply wanted to take, reve- like, revenge on him because he killed your arm. But, like, mm-hmm. it's like he appeals to specifically the parts of Anakin that he's most vulnerable in, which I think, I feel like the manipulation in this definitely is starts to build up Anakin in a more realistic light of falling to the dark side. Whereas, like, in Attack of the Clones, it was just, like, out of nowhere suddenly, like, I hate him, I killed all the, uh, the... Sand people. Child, the, the sand people. It's just, yeah. And also, I, I do love yeah. when he, like, he, like, uh, calls back, is like, remember that time you, you killed all... You told me about the, all the sand people you killed? Yeah. Like, he's, like, consoling... Uh, Anakin's, like, consoling in, um in Palpatine and then he's just like using it like manipulating him like uh don't you remember when you told me this yeah I thought so yeah because he said he basically <laughs> says that you know I shouldn't have done it it's not the Jedi way and like we were talking about with basically Palpatine making Anakin feel more comfortable and therefore making him sort of side with him instead is he says like you know yep. it's only natural because you know he cut off your arm and you wanted revenge it wouldn't be the first time and then he says remember what you told me about your mother and the sand people so yeah, clearly exactly. not only does that show like it's a nice subtle way show don't tell version of um you know Palpatine being a a, a voice that Anakin can sort of turn to but he clearly off screen yep. had another moment with Palpatine where he basically was like oh yeah I killed them every single one of them not just the men the women and the children too <laughs> <laughs> he created the whole screen script and he did the exact same thing again. I know. <laughs> and then Palpatine comes up to him and is like, yes, it's very it's very tragic yeah. or whatever, like same way Pat made it. Yeah, exactly. Now now we get into that uh, sort of thing where they, you know, they end up back in the hands of Grievous and like end up under that, re- yeah. end up, you know, in that ray shield. But something that I really notice, and it, it just, again, it, it comes back to this, uh, these attempts at humor that don't always land. This, this slapstick version of them trying to get into the second elevator where they're like walking on it yeah. while it's side, while, while it's like on its side. And then like, as, it sort of corrects itself and they start to fall. They're like, <laughs> it's, it's, oh God, mm. it's just, it doesn't always work. I don't know if that was an, it was a deliberate decision by George Lucas to try and inject more humor because it's, it's, you know, cause episode one and two are pretty devoid of humor. Uh, at least, mm. uh, well, you know, at least, um, they're most likely unintentionally funny most of the time. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, in this one, it's trying a little bit too hard in certain points. Sometimes it works, uh, but most of the time it doesn't, in my opinion. But that does, in fact, yeah, bring us to the Invisible Hand bridge scene. Now, this scene is is I, I, cool is the best way to describe it because not because like you know yeah. Magna Guards fighting without heads that's cool we hadn't seen that before and um, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's it's a that part isn't something that is like, you know, really sticks in my brain. The thing that sticks in my brain is them landing on Coruscant because that is a really good aspect of the, of the scene. I love that. Uh, it's, and you talk, you talk about a good humor. Oh, sorry, sorry, bad humor. Tell you better that it is good humor. Is Obi Wan whenever he's got his little quips? Yeah. Is like, uh, is like another happy landing, yeah. or is is like insults of grievous. That yeah. that that is that is how you do humor correctly in this and film. It, it, yeah, it, it clearly shows that Obi Wan is like sometimes annoyingly optimistic to other people because he's just like, oh, don't worry. We're still flying half the ship. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But no, the entire scene, uh, I think, is... is, is 
is quite well done because it's well intercut with what's going on outside with those people who are trying to water it down as it comes in too hot and and, ca- and catches on fire. Um, but something else that I realized that's really just like nonchalantly done is them landing on that giant landing pad and they literally just take out an entire yeah. like. Uh, yeah. a control tower like they probably just killed dozens of people and it's never addressed yeah. again like <laughs> like to be to be fair it was probably operated by droids and we already know what everyone thinks of droids yes. uh, oh dear <laughs> um but, but also so like i mean it's clear it's clear like uh it's about like pre- returning the pal- uh, the the chancellor because already in the film we learned like with the when they were like in the spaceships Obi-Wan was willing to like set, tell Anakin just be like oh yeah leave me here no I'll die you got to rescue the chancellor that's more important mission so clearly they don't care about losing a couple of lives to protect the uh, the politicians clearly yeah so um and that basically brings us you to an end of the opening and the opening of the film yep. is in turn in, like yeah. you know, in general is good is great i love it but uh it's when they, yeah. it's when they get back to the senate building that the film starts to slow down <laughs> yeah again. Like, i think pretty much a couple of like political scenes and pretty much any scene with anakin and padme is when the film really goes downhill especially compared to the other parts of the film in my opinion i agree like i will say that i believe regardless of the fact that it really wasn't there in the last two films uh hayden christensen and nally portman's chemistry is at its best in this movie i will say that Uh, yeah it is better well yeah, it's better in this Most film. of the time, it works. The I'm pregnant scene is well done, I believe, because I, I believe yeah. it's some of Hayden Christensen's best acting when he's like, this is the happiest moment of my life. And like, it, in if you were to put that scene in, in Attack of the Clones, it would have been a lot more cheesy. But I think it's well done in this movie. I, I honestly do. It's only a very small aspect of the film, obviously. But, you know, I, I, I like it because, yep. uh, you know, Anakin's life has been so filled with, you know, um, you know, grief. He really just hasn't had a moment to enjoy himself as a mm. human being. You really get to see his um, just like, you know, pure happiness come out, which is which is which is good and the idea to have Anakin be aware of Padme's impending death is a is a fascinating character idea because it's a way of creating this interesting dichotomy that we see throughout the film because since Yoda's um, telling him to let go of everything he fears to lose um, Palpatine is on the other side telling him that he can that he can help to prevent it and it shows Palpatine's yeah. manipulation of Anakin well and that the Jedi tell him to avoid it to refrain from being corrupted by his fear whereas Palpatine tells him that it's not only that not only is it okay to feel that way but also tells him that there is a way to stop it from happening which obviously we get into that later with you know the um you know sucking life out of people and using it to create yeah, life yeah. and stuff it's, but I think it's, it's deliberate ways of like building up this one doubt with the jedi and two trust in palpatine and like that's what you need to like turn him from like this like chosen chosen one of the jedi to being the one that eventually brings it down yeah i think and that that definitely it through a number of scenes throughout the film does build that up well. yeah and anakin's like you know starting to lose trust in the jedi mainly because of the thing that we're going to talk about next which is obviously the subject yeah. of a thousand memes but we're going to get into it anyway um anakin becoming a member of the council but without being granted the rank of master now this was <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. regardless of the fact that it is like this huge you know thing that people have you know made a joke out of um the it's beginning to show basically what becomes the beginning of the end for the council. And it shows how corrupted they've become because they've turned, they've, they've, um, you know, we get to see a lot more of it in Clone Wars, but from what we see of it in this, uh, when we're, you know, way before we had Clone Wars as a thing, like, you know, it shows that, Jedi, that the Jedi really have gone from being defenders of the peace that just act as they see fit, but you know, justly to mm. people who will just do what they need to, to, uh, 
to, to appease the Senate because they needed to make sure they stayed uh, good and, and uh, willful in the public eye, which is just something that they really let um, overshadow what was really important, which is uh, really well um, demonstrated in the movie, I think. So, yeah. Definitely, yeah. And uh, it's further exemplified by the council asking Anakin to spy on the Chancellor because it's a, it, and and that I believe is uh, I have I, I have no problem in saying that I think it's a terrific writing technique by George Lucas because it's a way of showing how Anakin's faith in the council just continues and continues to disappear without without yep. blatantly showing it like you know when when George Lucas has had a problem with show don't tell in the past I think this is where it's at its yeah. best because you know. It's also why he has the opera scene come right after. It's a smart move, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes, opera scene. Very good. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely like showing like the twist of the um the Jedi Council from being simply like a peaceful like religious order to becoming like kind of a political agent in noticing the rise of Palpatine and his basically dictatorship and and the path that they're going down towards being that. And Anakin notices it as well. But that's the thing. Yoda notices it specifically as well. And, like, is, like, very, like, cautious and doubtful of the path that they're heading on. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, knows that this is what they need to do. Because without it, a Sith Lord will rise to power. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and uh, you mentioned Yoda just now. Um, coming right after, but, be- uh, like, after that scene with Anakin and everyone where like they were there by the window and Anakin's just like, why, why would you ask this of me? Um, it's that scene that comes right after in the gunship with Yoda, Mace Windu and Obi-Wan. Yeah. Now, this is one of the, I don't trust exactly. This is one of the most, this is one of the most weak scenes in the film for me personally, because yeah. um, it's honestly just there to show the council's perspective of what's going on and Mace Windu not trusting Anakin and stuff. Now, the reason I don't like it is because it feels so deliberately manufactured. Why would Mace Windu, mm-hmm. like, really, in its entire, like, you know, he's shown that, you know, he can sometimes let his impulses get the best of him, but there's really no logical reason why Mace Windu shouldn't, like, trust Anakin. Like, you know, it's well, the force, the force, bro. Yeah. Uh, but the, the main reason I just don't like it is because Yoda, Obi-Wan, and Windu, when they're on the gunship, I'm not. I'm not sure what it is about the scene, honestly. But the dialogue feels really forced, and if the scene is just yeah, there, I, it's it's really just there to show. I definitely understand. Yeah. It does. It does feel like it was written in. Speci- yeah. It's 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 a. It, it, you said manufactured, which I feel is the correct word. It's like it doesn't feel like it's a natural scene. Like it's there specifically for the plot purpose of telling uh, the perspective of them and building up this doubt in Anakin. But I, one thing I do like about it is the questioning of the prophecy. Uh, I do like how at this, like Obi-Wan, like, is he not the chosen one? Is he not the one that's going to bring it? And then Yoda brings up this idea of perhaps misread the prophecy might have been like this idea of building doubt in this trust that they've like, well, this is the prophecy put a hundred percent of our faith into Anakin, like questioning whether or not this prophecy is what it is. Because I think when a prophecy is like a hundred percent down and it does kind of end up coming true, depending on your perspective of Vader in episode six. But I like, I like the idea that Yoda has these doubts and Yoda is, is also kind of questioning some of the council's motives. Yeah, I'd agree. Or like council's moves. Yeah. So, so that part of it, when they bring up the prophecy is, is, um, is, yeah, is, is, is good. Like, you know, but the, the thing with that, where Mace Windu starts to question him and Obi-Wan sort of just says, yep. like, is he, like, uh, I thought he was the one that is going to destroy the Sith. Is he not the chosen one? And stuff, like, you know, he's obviously saying it yep. to Mace, but he's really just saying it to the audience. Like, hey, remember, yeah. remember, that's what's supposed to happen. Uh, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why I don't really like that scene. But moving on to the scene that basically comes right after, which I believe is by far the best scene in the movie. Uh, or actually, you know what? Yeah, yeah. I 
actually do have another one that's personally my favorite, but this is probably one of the yes. better films in the sorry scenes in the film. Uh, the opera scene. The opera scene is fantastic. Yeah, the opera scene. Um, it is. It's memed, but it's also lauded and just like held in such a high regard because it's great. Yeah. It's the opera scene. You also get George Lucas uh, as a cameo. The only cameo he's ever done in yeah, any yeah. of his films uh, as um, cheap. Papanoida? Yeah, uh, Chairman Papanoida, yeah. Um, yeah. And his uh, his daughter, who is also played by George Lucas's daughter. Um, but yeah, so, so that's mm. interesting. Um, well, I mainly just love this scene, and it's also in McDermott's favourite, because uh, he, he's, yes. he's often said, because he is he does have a theatric and stage background, that a chance to go to the opera, or at least the, the, or the very least the space opera, uh, was something that he um, was excited to, to do and explore. Um, yeah, it shows that Palpatine's hold on Anakin is really taking effect now, and of course, the whole thing about the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, and and the thing that he... and mm. it's, it's so well done, because um, not only is... That's something we haven't actually talked about at this point uh, in our retrospective is how good is Ian McDermott. He is... Oh, he is star of this film. I I would agree. I believe he's he's the best part of the movie. Perfect, perfect uh, uh, trade-off in camp and then also like seriousness and like evil, evil uh, appearance. I think he definitely is... Uh, in one of the, he's like one of the few characters that's the same actor between uh, original trilogy and prequel trilogy, and it he just just works so well with the fact like it, like the fact that he not only was so great in the uh, in Return of the Jedi as the evil emperor, but then also being able to do the more subtle elements, the more charismatic side of Palpatine when he was a senator and when he was a chancellor. Like I feel like he definitely. Is in my, I mean, he, I said he was my favorite character in the prequels of of the prequels. Is my favorite character, so I definitely think he steals the show. Not only in this scene, but in this movie. In my opinion. yeah, definitely. I mean, he and Anthony Daniels are the only people that are in all three trilogies, um, and you know. <laughs> yeah, he's in. I forgot he was in Return, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, technically, he's in the sequel trilogy as well. Uh, so yeah, but I I would absolutely agree. He's the best part of this movie. He's the best part of the of the prequels, and just his body movements, the way he tilts his head, like you know, turns his head slowly and says, "Not from a Jedi," and that itself, not from a Jedi. That itself, we'll get into that. Is like I said, we've talked about the um the the betterment of Lucas's writing. That is one of the better things that he does, is because he puts it in front of Anakin this way that he can potentially save uh his his wife from death, but he tells him that he can't learn it from a Jedi. It's a Sith teaching. So that is just another part of Palpatine's manipulation of him and a good writing technique by Lucas. So um that yeah. that is great. Now we can move on to basically the scene that comes right after, which is uh Yoda on Kashyyyk. Um, this is basically when we get to see it for the first time and they basically inform the council that Obi-Wan's on Utapau with General Grievous. We'll get into that later. But the battle on Kashyyyk itself has always felt like yeah. it's, this, it, it's its own little animal in this movie that's just there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just there. I, I do. It, it definitely, like, it plot-wise, aside from separating Yoda from, from the council, from Coruscant, well, yeah, yeah. it... Yeah, like it doesn't. It doesn't really, because there are a number of battles going on. I mean, like, we, we was like, what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? Is where they are. But like, <laughs> yeah. like there's one on like Uta. There's no, well, not well. Yeah, we get Utapau, but there's one on Magito. There's one on Kato Nemoidia. Like, there's all these other conflicts going on. But like, we focus on Kashyyyk. Like, just uh, not enough scenes for it to be like a major set piece, like a major setting. But like enough that it's like, oh, this is supposed to be a, a semi-focus of the film, and it just kind of 
it doesn't really feel like that. Yeah, like like you said, it's honest, It's only there to get Yoda off of Coruscant for when Order 66 happens. That's purely the reason that it's there. Um, and another thing that you said, like, you know, it doesn't show enough of it for me to be invested. I completely agree. I feel the same way. Um, it's mainly just because of the fact that we actually talked about this when we talked about our Revenge of the Sith's uh, potential four-hour cut because actually yeah. most of the Kashyyyk battle was actually... Uh, cut from the movie, which is understandable. Which makes sense. It, it does. It yeah, does it make sense because you need to, you know, make sure you uh, focus on what's happening with Anakin, and you know, Obi Wan's very important to the story as well because he, of his connection to Anakin. So I understand why it's here. I think it just felt, um, uh, you know, it it fell subject to the things that we really needed to focus on. So in a lot of ways, you can't really uh, place a lot of blame. Um, uh, I feel. Mm. Um, because, you know, obviously lots of the part of the film were cut out for a, for an affordable runtime because the movie itself is already two and a half hours. So it's... it's yeah, it's a long film. It's not as offensive to me as some of my other critiques because what we see instead does work very well for the most part. Um, something that we do see right after the first scene of Kashyyyk is um, Anakin and one's goodbye. And I feel like it's really well done by Christensen and, yeah. and McGregor because... Definitely. Um, Ewan McGregor, of course, is another one of the saving graces of the prequels. Him and Ian McDermott are by far the best in terms of performances. Um, and the whole thing about them saying, like, you know, he was a good friend. Um, the fact that they were good friends is on full display in this scene. I think it's at its best. Yeah. Um, and it's also heartbreakingly beautiful because this is the last time Obi-Wan saw Anakin. He obviously, like... Definitely. I know, yeah, that you get that. Yeah. You get the... Yeah. This is the last time that they saw each other beforehand. Yeah, because the next time uh, they meet up, you know... O- o- yeah, Obi-Wan... it's when he is Sith Lord. Yeah, Obi-Wan meets Vader. He doesn't meet Anakin, so yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that'd be... Although they do meet as, as Force Ghosts. They yeah. do meet as Force Ghosts, that's true. Um, the... Now, something that I also do like, because it comes right after, it starts to elaborate more on the, um, you know, can I save Padme from death? Because we see Anakin back in their home. Um, and something that is actually not related to the, to the movie at all, but is a nice little tidbit that I've seen only a couple weeks ago, is that the first thing you see of Anakin in this scene is like he's checking like a little, like, you know, uh, screen, like a handheld device. It sort of looks like a, a Nintendo Switch, but whatever. Um, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we've always been like, oh, what is he looking at? Now that we've had Clone Wars Season 7, we actually know that on that little device, he's looking at Ahsoka's progress on Mandalore, which is actually kind of nice. I like that. Um, But in terms of the film itself, because obviously that didn't exist yet, Anakin's conflict that he talks about with Padme goes back to the, like, you know, in Attack of the Clones when he says, I'm a Jedi, I know I'm better than this. That's elaborated on when Anakin says, like, you know, "I, I want more, but I know I shouldn't. Anakin knows that everything he feels and everything he is being driven to do is fundamentally wrong um, uh, in a lot of ways, but he can't help it because it's what he feels uh, trapped into feeling by Palpatine almost. So I've always liked that element of the film. Yeah, definitely. I I, I agree. I think it definitely adds more depth. Yeah. Uh, Now, the next scene we'd basically get into is um, uh, Obi-Wan on on, on Utapau. I like this scene. I I, I do. Mm. Uh, it's obviously probably the most. Utapau is such a fun setting, like a fun planet. It does. It is. Like, yeah. Kashyyyk is interesting because it's like a, a forest planet, and we get a couple of other planets in the prequels. But like the idea of Utapau just being like a city built inside like a giant hole, and they're all around the edges. That's that's fun, and we get to explore like the 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 planets, like actual like. Uh, physical landscape in interesting ways through like the chases later on in the film. Yeah, it's like a it's it's a it's a series of really really deep pits that they've basically turned into their cities, like you said. So in terms yeah. of uh, you know um, production design, planet design, uh, it, it's 
again, really, really good in Revenge of the Sith. And um, now, obviously, you could now get into uh, one of the best parts of the film, uh, Obi-Wan landing in front of Grievous and uh, him saying, hello there. Um, hello there. It's beautiful. It really is just amazing. It, it advances it, it advances the story in a new and intricate way. Uh <laughs> Yes. No. It's of course. It's 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 one of the most complex cinematic lines. It builds not only the tension between Obi Wan and Grievous, but also raises the, the the tension in the audience as he's alerting his presence to not only the greatest threat, but also this entire surrounding of, of droids around him. It's a cinematic technique. You see. Oh yes, yes. We are we are hello there thespians. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, you know it 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 works as the scene because it's really well done. But in terms of character decisions like Anakin like Obi-Wan's great and he's very powerful as we know but he literally did just jump in front of like a thousand battle droids yeah Um, obviously he was pretty confident that Grievous in his own like you know selfish ambition would say back off because I want to kill him myself but if he had just said like you know uh okay you can shoot this guy now Obi-Wan would have been screwed (laughs) so yeah um yeah he would have been very dead um but the fight between Obi-Wan and Grievous itself is you know, like it's it's sort of like the Magna Guard fight. The the only word for it yep. is like it's cool because oh yeah, we got four lightsabers. We've never seen that before. So in that way, it's it's. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I do like the fact that um you know we've seen a lot of different fighting styles in Star Wars and how that changes from character to character. I think the use of um the lightsabers by Grievous is is well done because he's using his mechanical physicality. At, to his advantage yes. because he holds out the lightsabers at the, uh, with his uh, two bottom arms and with the other arms he's like doing the spinning thing which I think is great and it's cool to see like we said and um, the way that Obi-Wan mm. reacts to this is is pretty cool because you see it on his face he's like oh boy <laughs> um, so yeah that's that's cool. And the fight itself. Yeah. I think well it, it, it definitely leads into the, the mechanics of Grievous. But also it's interesting because in Clone Wars we do actually get to see Grievous fight a lot more and I feel like he has a lot more of a Jedi-like style in Clone Wars, where he's, like, more... He can, like, deflect a bit. He's, like, swinging and stuff. Whereas in this, it kind of... It feels like... He says he was trained by Dooku in the Jedi arts, but mostly he just uses lightsabers like a like a sword. Like, he doesn't have a stance. He doesn't have a style. It's just him, like, spinning them and a couple of other scenes like that. So I feel like... While I think it works in this film, with the context of how he's been in Clone Wars, in Clone Wars and some of the lines, it does kind of feel a little bit like he... I mean, maybe he was just exaggerating a bit like, when he says he's been trained by Dooku, but especially because in Clone Wars we see him fight more like an actual, like, very dangerous... Uh, a very dangerous, not Sith, uh, like, villain. Because I, actually, at the t- even at the time of the film coming out, we'd had the cl- the inter- intermittent, inter- intermediary or whatever, Clone, War, Clone Wars TV show, where Grievous is in that. And he is crazy in that, in the cartoon, I know, if you've he's, seen he's, it. I have seen it. Like, he's killing so many droid, uh, sorry, so many Jedi in that like film. Like, we get to see... Uh, so in, that, in that show, yeah. Yeah, we get to see that, um, you know, on display in some point in this movie. But you're right, the TV series with Grievous, or that like that little mini series built him up as like this animal that that is just like heartless yeah. and will kill anyone in his path. So um, that 
that is that is well done. But something I've always found funny is when he says, you know, I've been trained in your Jedi arts by Count Dooku. Obi-Wan was probably just yep. thinking like, okay, well, I trained the guy who killed that guy, so you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, so that's funny. Um, and you, of course, get to do... You do get to see the clones show up after this. And like we were saying, the small bits of the Clone Wars that you see in Revenge of the Sith, they're well handled and it's good. And um, something that is also yep. just funny is... Um, Obi-Wan, when he gets back on his giant lizard thing and just starts chasing after Grievous, um, he drops his lightsaber and just basically, you know, he, he mm. loses it. Obviously, Cody finds it and gives it back to him later. But um, this comes after Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones said, like, you know, try not to lose this thing. This weapon is your life. Yeah. <laughs> and he just loses it so, like, nonchalantly. Yeah. It's, uh, that, yeah. That's great, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's, that's interesting. Now, the next scene uh, really plays into the whole thing about the Jedi being, you know, corrupt and stuff like that. Is It's that scene with Mace Windu, uh, Kiari Mundi, Ayla Secura, and Yoda at that hollow table where they're talking about the fact that, you know, they, they sense that the dark side is really getting strong now, especially in the Chancellor, because they basically say that they need to um, do something about him if nothing changes. And... Like mm. we were talking about before, it does show how far they've fallen because he says the Jedi will have to take control of the Senate in order to secure a peaceful transition. Like, so yeah. they're basically. I think this scene yeah. is probably one of my favorite in the film because it it this is like the part where the Jedi have pretty much gone and and lost like any sense of they were like a, a, a religious order or like a peaceful thing because they're planning on one like if they need to, overthrowing democracy and, like, install, install, installing a temporary Jedi occupation just to keep the peace from, like, this power vacuum that's created. And Yoda picks up on this, like, saying, this is a dangerous path that we're, th- like, following down of this train of thought. And he, know- he like, he knows that, this, like, not only has Palpatine, if he, like, succeeds and beats the Jedi, has he won, but, like, even if he loses to the Jedi and all this, he's still successfully destroyed what, like, little control the Jedi had in the galactic politics and in, in, the, in the Senate and all that. So he's already won it to a certain extent at this point. Oh yeah, that's uh, I totally agree. Palpatine had won long before Order 66. Because like you said, like you know, it doesn't matter if he lost, because if he lost and the Jedi take control, their, the, the perception of the Jedi by the public and stuff is only going to get worse. Like it's not going to get any better just because Palpatine's not there anymore. And that's the, that's the thing that I've always um, really admired is... You can look at this thing of, oh, wait, so the Jedi are just going to, you know, overthrow a, um, uh, authoritarian government by, um, creating their own authoritarian government. Yeah. Um, and you can, you can look at that as, you know, oh, that's a, that's a poor writing technique. He's basically just contradicted himself, but that is almost like the, the underlying genius of the scene is that that's exactly what George Lucas was trying to do. He's showing them, he's showing the um, hypocrisy of the Jedi council and that they're, they're trying to overthrow something by creating their own version of what they're trying to stop. So yeah, that's, that's that's interesting. Um, Yeah. So yeah, uh, I, I do really enjoy the scene. And the next scene uh, that comes right after is um, Anakin and Palpatine. And it comes at the point where Anakin discovers that Palpatine is the Sith Lord. Now, it's a great... Uh, I, I really do like this scene. But it also just begs the question, like, uh, with all the stuff that was happening, how did they not figure it out? <laughs> because obviously they were their vision was clouded and stuff like that. I understand. But 
at no point did Anakin think, huh, the guy who keeps talking about the Sith and uh, talks like a Sith and says that there are Sith teachings that can help my wife uh, might actually yeah. be related to the Sith Lord and it turns out he <laughs> is the Sith Lord. So, like, I, I feel yeah. like uh, Chancellor Palpatine at any time, right after he draws his lightsaber on him and says, it's you. Like, he's like, well, it's about time you figured it out. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, and at that point, he goes, like, all in. Like, he's like, all right, game's up. Let's, let's do it. Let's convert you. But here's the interesting thing is at that point, Anakin doesn't turn. No. Like, he, his immediate reaction is, I need to turn you in to the Jedi. Like, he hasn't turned at that point. It still takes, like, the, the um, Mace Windu sending the Jedi in to go arrest him and then eventually deciding to execute him right there, right now, where Anakin doesn't want him to because he wants him to help him save Padme, like, to help, to fully turn him. Like, he's still, he's still yet to be turned. So yeah. I, I like that idea. I agree. Like, you know, he says that, like, you know, uh, a lot of the things that he's already done to Anakin, they are, you know, the damage is done, essentially. But it actually shows that once push came to shove and he revealed himself, that there was always a small piece of Anakin that was going to, going to resist, at least for a small, um, at least for a very minimal yeah. uh, amount of time. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And obviously we then uh, cut back to um, uh, General Grievous and everyone's fight. And this is obviously when General Grievous meets his untimely end. Um, yeah. And it actually, you know, it really honestly shows um, something that the Clone Wars... The, the Clone Wars really did well with Grievous in that they made sure that Grievous and Anakin never met. So Anakin saying, you're, you're shorter than I expected at the start of the movie actually makes sense. Like, that, it, it shows yeah. that there was a lot of attention paid. Um, but the thing that I was going to talk about now, it's sort of like the Darth Vader in Rogue One syndrome where they're just like, oh, he's so powerful here. And the next time you see him would be when he fights Obi- uh, Anakin, uh, sorry, Obi-Wan on the Death Star and he's gone back to his whole, <laughs> well, 1977 <laughs> fighting style. Um, the same, yeah. it, it goes, it's the same here, where in Clone Wars, you see so many points where Grievous was so relentlessly, like, you know, ambitious that he never let himself be hurt or captured. He always either yep. ran away when he realized that things were not going his um, his way. And then in Revenge of the Sith, yep. it's almost so simple how he's killed. Like, you know, he rips apart his chest mm. and shoots him. Like, that's, that's it. I mean, so... Yeah. I understand, like, in the context of the movie, like I'm saying, because Clone Wars didn't exist yet, that is fine. But Clone War, but the inclusion of Clone Wars sort of undervalues this scene. But again, you can't blame Avenger the Sith for that. That was just one of my thoughts. The scene itself is well done, and obviously Obi-Wan saying, so uncivilized in pure trolling Obi-Wan fashion uh, is great. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I agree. I think I think the fight is, is quite... I think it works enough, because at that point, clearly... He's trying to get away. He's like trying to like get on his thing, and he's like desperate because he's lost his lightsabers. He's just wielding whatever weapons he can find, and so in that sense, Obi Wan is exploiting that like desperation and that not tactical thinking in terms of the fight. So True. I think it 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 is all right in that scene, but uh, but yeah, I do like that. I also do like how later on when Obi Wan is like leaving Utapau and, and and goes to General Grievous's ship to leave. He, like, walks past General Grievous, who's just been, like, left on the ground. Yeah, His body's just still there, like, if you see. Like, none of the clones or anyone just picked him up. They just left him Literally, there. So exactly. Cute. Like, you know, he... After Order 66 happens, we're going to get into that very shortly, but, like, you know, when he gets... When he runs back onto that platform and steals Grievous's ship, like, <laughs> Grievous is literally just lying there as a, like, flattened, barbecued version of himself, and nothing's been... He's, like, he's clearly... <laughs> I'd love to think that, like, you know, even years later, he's just still there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they go back to Utapau and one of these things, and it's just like, oh, yeah, that's Grievous. 
They've put a little net. They've put a little net around him, so you can't <laughs> yeah. little bit touch him. True. Uh, yeah. So the next scene obviously brings us to when Mace Windu, Kit Fisto, Stacey Tin, and uh, Aiden Collar go to face uh, go to face Palpatine because Anakin has informed Mace Windu that like you know he's a Sith Lord and they tell him to wait in the cancel chambers until they return. This scene is by far my favorite scene in the prequels, and it's by, and I believe it's the most well done. Oh, yeah? And I'll tell you why is because mm-hmm. Anakin. In the council chambers, he's thinking about it, and he's thinking about like you know what Palpatine's saying to him. Like if you if they if basically if you let them kill me, any chance of saving Padme will be lost. So then he gets up from yep. his chair and he looks out to the window and he 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 like looks across the Coruscant landscape and he sees his his like you know Padme in his house essentially their their, their tower. And then it, it's it's intercut with Padme doing the exact same thing. Like you know she's sitting on the couch and then she looks out to the window and she's looking at the Jedi Temple. They are looking at where the at the at the places that um, both of them are. They are not. Yeah. And again, they can't see each other physically. But the way that it's done, and the and the way that it's intercut, the music by John Williams, it's beautiful. It's almost like they can see each other. And I feel like it's so yeah. beautifully done that they have this connection that Anakin so wants to keep alive. And I also feel like that it's Hayden Christensen's best. Um, acting in the prequels because you can read everything on his face like the the fear and the torment that he's going through the way that that single tear rolls down his face I think it's just beautifully done and the other thing that we haven't talked about yet uh, we talked about it a little bit with Attack of the Clones but we haven't talked about it with Revenge of the Sith uh, John Williams continuously on point um, I feel like other than yep. uh, I feel like in terms of the movies that he scored Empire Strikes Back would be the best but Revenge of the Sith, I feel like, takes a very, very close second because it's really, really on point here. Um, so now it's very, yeah. It's very I, and good. we're going to get into some of the better like pieces of music uh, when they first play in the scene that, in the scenes that are coming up. But this brings us to Mace Windu and Chancellor Palpatine's fight. Um, seeing him mow down uh, Cacy Tin, Egan Collar, and Kit Fisto so quickly is like he just shows this is like a relentlessly vicious, pure evil dude. And I've always just loved the mm. um, that little like he jumps and he like torpedoes himself towards them. Yep, he does like a little flip thing. Oh, it's so it's good. So you good. can you can do that in Battlefront too. It's lots of fun to do. <laughs> I know it's so cool. Uh, and then obviously the fight takes place, and um, like these are probably the most skilled fighters that the Sith and the Jedi have. Palpatine versus Windu. Yep. Um, I love the fight. We've talked about it several times uh, in the past about how I don't think yes. um, uh, Palpatine let Mace Windu win. I believe Mace Windu did honestly best him in combat because that's just how good he was. He uses the person's dark side against them, and as we know, Palpatine's dark side is very strong. Um, but the yes. something that I've always found, you know, slight, that, that do derail the fight a little bit is, first of all, the body double that they're using for Ian McDermott, like Count Dooku, is yeah. very noticeable at some points when he's, like, flipping off of furniture and stuff. Like, it's very noticeably yeah. CGI. And something that I've always just... It always makes me laugh. There's a scene right before Anakin shows up where Palpatine and Mace Windu's lightsabers are, like, locked t- together and they're, like, in a 10-second stalemate. Mm. The face that that Samuel L. Jackson is pulling when he, like, <laughs> when yes. he, like scrunches... I know exactly what you're I'm sure about. you do. Yeah. He scrunches up his nose and looks at him like... <laughs> And it's just like, uh, I, I, again, I feel I really wish I had the time code with me because I'm just like, you need to go and see it. It's so funny. I, like, I'm not sure if it was directed that it's, way. And it's an iconic base. It's just like, so good. And it, it's not like half a second. It's like, it's there for a little bit of time. So yeah. Um, you could probably find it's it. It's literally only there for like three seconds, but it's so good. Um, obviously, that brings us to the windowsill. He disarms Palpatine and gets him up against the wall. And that's when Anakin shows up. Um, yeah. 
I this scene again is is well done. I think it's in terms of uh, dialogue, the attention that's building between whether or not Anakin will do something, what he knows to be wrong, but he can't help himself. I feel like it's really well done because yeah. even now, like you said, he's not completely turned because he says he has to stand trial. It's not the Jedi way. He needs to live. Like obviously, he's saying that because it's the right thing to do, but also because of his own personal motives. He doesn't want Palpatine to die because of what he can do yeah. to Padme. So um, that's that's interesting. Um, another thing that I've always found interesting, and it's never really elaborated on in the movies, is when when Palpatine like, you know, releases his lightning on Mace Windu, it's deflected and reveals his wrinkly, saggy face that we see for the rest of the, uh, of yes. the, um, the, the saga. Um a lot of people have speculated, and I like this idea, that that is actually Palpatine's true face. Uh, is that mm. he was never proper, you know, like, you know, face version of, like, you know, Sheev Palpatine that we see in episodes one and two. Because obviously, as we know, the Sith, uh, the, the dark side of the Force is so powerful, and we see that with some of the most ancient Sith, is that when it's strong enough in you, it can literally start to deform your physical features. So I like the idea that the face we see of him from now on is his actual face, and the face we've seen prior is just a mask and something that actually solidifies this idea is elaborated on all the way forwards in rise of skywalker because when palpatine sucks the force power out of kylo out of ben solo and ray um when he restores himself he doesn't return to normal uh you know chancellor sheev version of his face he's still like you know gray dark and shriveled and stuff so you know, hmm. um, if, you know, it stands to reason that him completely renewing himself would make him, you know, uh, would re- return him to his uh, purest, most natural form. And the fact that you see him in that way actually sort of helps to solidify the theory that the fact that we see his face like this from now on is actually the face that he's had all along. So I don't know. I, I've always kind of yeah. liked that idea. I think I think at the very least you can make the idea that he was using dark side to mask his presence or cloud the way that people see him to make himself more charismatic more like appealing to become a politician um as to whether he like legitimately looks like that or whether he was like drained in the force i think i think it's less likely that he was drained in the force because you make it like it's very clear that when he's pretending when he's like being like all weak and like oh i'm i'm weak and all that it's it's just a fast because it's soon as mace windu drops his guard or like his hands cut off he goes like unlimited power yeah true and so i think whether or not it is his real face who he is like that there is definitely shrouding of his of his appearance or or masking like deception is is like that's just fundamental of of uh with uh with the uh, palpatine yeah i would agree um so yeah that's that's um that's that scene. Now the thing that obviously happens next is Anakin being like uh, he the, just oh, yeah. let me uh I'm gonna mute myself for a second. Okay, all good. Um so yeah, basically the next thing that we get here is um uh Anakin's final final turn to the to the dark side and something that I've always really um enjoyed about this scene is Palpatine at many times is still talking about, you know, um you know, just all I want is to help Padme to save her life and stuff like that. And the fact that he can't live without her, that's all there. But something that I've always found that I don't really love about the scene is how drastic the sudden change in his character is. Because he goes from, it's not the Jedi way, he must live. There's clearly a light side to Anakin that's still there. Um, but then on a dime, he's like, okay, I'm a dark side user now. Um, thank you, my master. And then he goes, he goes from there. Um... I've always found... For sure, I, I definitely do understand that, yeah. and I noticed that um, as well. 
like obviously we need to see the change and taking um before any of this we always knew that the change from anakin to vader had to happen at some point and i understand that they needed to 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 do it this way but i don't know i feel like it's just it's it's just rushed i feel like it's the simple term of it's yeah, rushed I, rushed i think that's the correct way i see it as well because um certainly like i feel like the motivations generally are all right they're like pretty strong but like for him following palpatine yes for him like maybe stopping mace from killing him yes but for him turning to the dark side killing younglings and trying to form his own galactic empire no that to me definitely feels rushed yeah. and i definitely agree and the fact that he just bet that palpatine basically just like you know flat out says now you are darth Vader. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> yeah, he's just made it up on the spot. <laughs> like, it's always... Uh, I, like, you know, if we put ourselves back into a 2005 mindset, you'd always wonder where, like, you know, how he does come up with the name Vader specifically. Um, it, But in this scene, it's honestly just like, henceforth, you shall be known as Darth... Uh, let me think. What sounds menacing that it we haven't... It doesn't correct Google we Translate. Have, we, haven't, so. we haven't used it yet. Oh, let's look through the roller, desk, uh, roller decks of, uh, you know, Sith names that we've yeah. used. Oh, Vader. Here's one we haven't used. Okay, now you're Vader. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't... I, I don't know. Um, so, that scene happens, and then Order 66 is initiated. So, we can get into this scene. Um, Order 66, for me, is really really it's it's like we were talking about with um the scene with anakin and padme when they're looking at each other it's tragically beautiful not only because of what we see but also because the score is wildly on point john williams's anakin's betrayal which is what the piece is called is amazing it's 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 ominous and it's heartbreaking all at the same time uh obviously he is on point here and all and all the stuff that we see is well done too the, the as the jedi Definitely, slowly yeah. start to get killed off and the most impactful one for me is when we see kiati mundi's death because obviously we don't know we, we don't we don't know a lot yep. about kiati mundi as a character but the way that, that the scene is done itself with the zoom in on the clone's feet as they plant yep. directly against him because it's a way of showing they mm. are not following the jedi anymore brutal and 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 Ki Mundi turns and like the tragic look on his face as he knows he's about to die is just oh god it's 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 really well done and obviously we see um, uh, Yoda reacting to all this and you know he drops his cane and he holds his heart and he collapses um, all of that combined mm -hmm. with the Anakin's betrayal theme that plays in the background is really really well done um, and something that I've always thought about now that we have seven seasons of Clone Wars obviously that show has elaborated on the fact that it was the chips in their heads and they couldn't help it but if you put yourself back into that 2005 mindset none of that was established so if you look at the movie just through that simple perspective um it basically yeah. makes it look like the clones were always bad and this was always the plan exactly um, yeah so yeah that's um it's an interesting thing that they would have uh you know used that in the film and obviously we start to see in clone wars that it wasn't their fault it was because of the chips but if you just look at the movie itself um, with no external media to support it, it basically is played out as if the clones were always bad and they were just biding their time. So I've always found that interesting. So um, that's Order 66. That's how that happens. Um, yeah. yeah uh, great, great scene. Um, so basically... The th yeah, I, I agree. I think it is... It just shows that this, tra this film is like a tragedy and also just like... It's, such a, it's, it's much darker in tone 
than like the other ones and it's try it's building up this this just like really depressing like loss like this film is a a win for the bad guys oh yeah and i think order 66 just really builds up the significance of that in the context of this film yeah um no i agree the whole it's a win for the bad guys thing is probably at its best in um in this movie um, i i would absolutely say that um and uh, yeah, so that's 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 that. And then the next thing we see is Anakin at the temple with the younglings. <laughs> oh no, oh, boy, Master Skywalker! There's too many of them. What are we going to do now? Like we said, this has been memed to death. I don't know what it is about Revenge of the Sith that people just want to tear it apart with the memes. Oh, it's the best memed one, oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but if we just look at it as the scene itself, I know it's hard to because it's so comedic. It's so it's so tied to a comedic. It's so tied to a comedic aspect and will be for all the time. But if you just look at it as the scene itself, I think it's 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 horrific. It's well done because oh, yeah. all you see is Anakin not reacting to what the youngling says at all. You, he ignites his lightsaber, and that's when he and that's brutal. and that's when the scene cuts away. Like it is absolutely brutal because you don't see it, of course, but the connotations of that scene alone are just like, oh my god, they're actually killing children in this movie. So that is that that is awful. So um, killing younglings. Yeah, well, that's what the, that's exactly what they're doing. Um, and the next scene, obviously, you see... Well, basically, you get to see a little bit more with Bail Organa showing up to the temple and him quickly retreating when the clones fire on the younglings and stuff. Which, by the way, that 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 um, Jedi that attacks the clones right as Bail Organa lands on that landing platform, that's George Lucas's son. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the actor, I mean. And, yeah, yeah he, he... No, the Jedi. The Jedi was his son. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he gets shot down, like, brutally. So, hmm. um, I feel like the that, that George Lucas's son would have just been like... Dad, are we okay? Like, you know, you just had me killed in your why, movie. Why do I die here? Yeah, like, is there something you want to yeah. talk about? Did I, did I annoy you in some way? <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah anyway. Uh, the next scene, obviously, is uh, Obi-Wan escaping Utapel and reuniting with Yoda. And that brings us back to them coming back to Coruscant and um, all the stuff that happens there. Now, before we get into that is the scene with Anakin on Mustafar where he wipes out the Separatist leaders. Um, not only is it nice to see uh, one of the most annoying characters in Phantom Menace, Newt Gunray, meet his end, but <laughs> mm. but it also really solidifies that Anakin is completely gone. Like, I feel like this is the moment where Anakin completely faded away. Now he is Vader because yep. he just brutally chops them down. And um, it actually explains why at this point... This is when he starts to have that those yellow eyes because a lot of the thing a lot a question that some people have is that after Anakin trades himself into the dark side he doesn't always have the yellow eyes it sort of goes in and out um, basically yeah. the backstory behind that is that you will only have yellow eyes when the most purest and most hateful parts of the dark side are flowing through you when you literally could not be uh, more um, in tuned with uh, your hatred essentially mm. so that's why the yellow eyes come out. A right after he kills all those people, and B when he's burning alive in yeah. front of Annie, in front of uh, Obi Wan. So that makes yeah. sense, um, and that sort of makes us that that sort of leaves us uh, with Anakin and Obi Wan, and um, uh, Obi Wan's on Coruscant, and Anakin's on Mustafar, and something that I've always found uh, really really beautiful. Uh, for some reason, both my favorite scenes in Revenge of the Sith have Obi have Anakin shedding a tear. I must like to to, to look. I must like to see him yeah. sad. I don't. Um, 
Sad boy, Anakin. But that scene with Anakin's dark deeds, that's the uh, name of the theme that plays another gorgeously yep. written piece of music by George, Lu- by not George Lucas, John Williams. Um, when you see Anakin uh, looking across to that Mustafar sunrise and you see him like completely entombed in darkness, but he still has a tear rolling down his face. Um, it shows that Anakin himself knows that there's no turning back. He will never be the person that he was yeah. before. And that is really um, uh, heartbreaking for him and heartbreaking for us to see. And that's why I love that scene. Um, and that basically brings us to that part where Obi-Wan and Yoda uh, go to the um, go to the temple and find out that Anakin was the one who slaughtered all the Jedi. Um, yeah. Now, this scene is good in terms of what we see, but something that we've talked about a lot in these prequel retrospectives yeah, is, execu- is execution. This, oh, execution, th- yeah. this scene is not uh, look, executed like- well, I don't believe. Yep. Look, I love Ewan McGregor as an actor, and I feel like he's probably one of the best, if not the best, cast characters in the prequels. But him, his scene with the talking about the younglings is not acted great. Yeah, no, like that's, a, and it's a lot because of the fact that this whole thing where George Lucas has been fading out of it, this show don't tell thing, he's actually getting better at it. But in this scene, particularly, he really goes back into it because when Obi Wan, you know, he's like, "Oh, I must know the truth about what happened," and he sees Anakin. Um, you know, slaughtering the young. It's like, all he says is, it can't be. It can't be. I can't watch anymore. Like, dude, like, <laughs> dude this is the guy that you've trained for years and the person who you've called your brother in arms. Um, and all you have... You're my brother, Anakin. Yeah, and um, like, really, I feel like there was so much more you could have done with this scene. Obi-Wan should be, like, in... Like, he, he should be in in pieces like like have him like collapse on the ground with sorrow have it muted as he yells with a like a with, with, a, with a powerful john williams score or something yeah. there was so much more you could have done with this scene instead of him just saying it can't be like it can't be yeah and that's impossible yeah like that's that's something that um is actually elaborated on more when he goes and talks to padme is that he flat out just says like I have seen a security hologram of him killing younglings. Not only does Ewan McGregor have to cover his mouth because he couldn't hold in his laughter at that line, but but, yeah. but but also he just flat out says it. Like there's so much more that you could have done that's more subtle and more nuanced than, than something yeah. like that. And also, this is a brutal, brutal piece of thing that you're telling his wife of all people. And this, like you know, it's something that you that will never ever be yeah. the same. It's got very dark connotations. And yet he tells Padme on a nice sunny day in her living room, like, you know, no, no, no. Yep, I know. Read, like, this is the primest example of this scene, uh, of this movie, uh, as, like, read the room. (laughs) Like, like Mm. have it be dark, raining. Yeah, you need to do the atmosphere to match the tone. Exactly. Like, you know, have have the Jedi Temple on fire in the background, something. Like, you know, uh, it's just something that I feel like, again, execution. There was so much more you could have done with this scene, but it actually does end very well, I believe, because Obi-Wan says... Like, you know, Anakin's the father, isn't he? I'm so sorry. Like, and, and Padme can't say anything. Yep. All she does is look down because, like, you know, she almost is too ashamed to answer. That is great. But you needed to yep. show that throughout the entire scene, is what I'm saying. Um, and that basically brings us to Padme going to Mustafar herself with Obi-Wan in tow. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is basically when the final act crux of the movie takes place. Because... Um, Okay, we can sort of talk about Padme and Anakin uh, before the fight takes off. Like, this is 
a well done scene. The thing that lets it down is, of course, the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, Anakin, I, I agree. Anakin, the writing is Anakin, probably the weakest in the entire movie here. Anakin, you're breaking my heart. And I'm like, oh boy. Um, we could build our own galactic empire together. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's... His voice goes so high in a number of those things as well, so, which is That's funny. really true. It goes super high when he's like, we can make things the way we want them to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I've always found that like, oh boy. Yeah. Um, it, uh. it ends well though, because she's like, I don't believe what I'm hearing. Everyone's right. You've changed and stuff. That is good. Like, I don't mind that. But when right after she says, you're breaking my heart, you're going down a path I can't follow and stuff. I'm just like, oh, oh, oh boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So let's just yeah. do our best to skip that and get into these two fights. Yeah, that didn't happen. That's yeah. <laughs> let's get into these two final fights, Anakin and Obi-Wan and uh, Palpatine mm. and Yoda. Now, okay, look, what do you think of these fights? Uh, I think the Anakin and Obi-Wan one is very high energy, very fun. Uh, I think the Yoda Palpatine one starts off weaker, but gets, I think, a lot more enjoyable when they start using the environment in the battle. And I think uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan does the same as well with, like, the lava. So these fights are really interesting because each the setting the environment they're in impacts the the way that the fight takes place so much like in the council chambers when they're like jumping from all the things to the other and then suddenly throwing them at each other that's exciting and an obi-wan and anakin one where they're like trying to not only fight each other but also survive from not like falling into lava as it's collapsing around them so in that sense it is actually very unique and and interesting and as a fight i agree um I will talk about the pros for these fights and then I'll get into my critiques for them. First of all, I absolutely Mm. agree. The atmosphere that they've chosen for the two respective fights are perfect because in terms of what we were just talking about, like, you know, it should have been set on like a thunderous dark night with the Jedi Temple on fire in the background when Obi-Wan and Padme are are talking. You completely get that in this scene because this is, it's set on a lava planet which gives you this really evil connotation Um, and Yoda and Emperor uh, Palpatine fighting in the Senate building also works well because I like you said that whole thing where they're using the atmosphere to their advantage is is well done the things that i don't like about this fight is okay well this the, my first thing you can't really fault the movie for it because it's not its fault but you both but, but you know that all four of these people are going to survive yeah because they're in the next trilogy they're in the next movie yeah. but i can't that's that's the crazy thing there's two major fights going on in the film and you already know going into it that both of them are all both all four of the characters are major characters in the sequel trilogy in the original trilogy yeah, you, and so you, while things can happen to them none of them can die you know, you know that they're both going to end in stalemates before it actually um, before yeah. it actually ends. Well, I, I don't think you could call the Anakin and Obi-Wan ending as a stalemate, but it's just a matter of the fact that they, they all survive, yes. Um, and the thing that I also don't really like about the fight, most of the time it's good. I, I enjoy the fight itself. They're good. Um, but the thing that I don't like is they are so fast. Okay, like uh, uh, The, lights, the yeah. lightsaber movements themselves, a lot of the time it just turns into, oh, it, they're, they're twirling and they're hitting each other randomly. Like, this is a re- this is supposed to be a really, really impactful fight. These two people want each other dead, and Obi-Wan and Anakin is a relationship that's been built up over these last two movies. This scene needed more powerful and emotionally impactful attacks. That's what I'm saying. You do get that in one instance where Anakin starts uh, where, where Anakin starts to choke Obi-Wan and they start fighting on that table. That's good. 
felt we needed more of that instead of just that weird twirling rave party thing that they do at one point when they're in like the central building and they're not even touching they just twirl it around a little bit and then they clash again like what is that um uh I feel like yeah, I, I feel like the Emperor and Yoda fight doesn't fall into that trap as much, but sometimes it can get a little mm. bit goofy with them like twirling the Senate dishes around, and yeah, then twirl, and then pushing it back to one another. Like it's it's fine. The one what I'm scene where they're just like sweat. The one scene where Anakin and Obi Wan just spinning their lightsabers around, and you can like clip that and just like have that on repeat. I know. It's it's so so it, it it literally looks like they're having a bloody rave party, which is weird. But um, and something else that I've always yeah. just loved is when they get onto that huge spire that they try to climb, and then and mm. then they literally both have like an like a Tarzan moment where <laughs> Obi Wan swings yeah. across him, and they just like hit each other once. I'm just like, <laughs> yes, I love that. Yeah, like, they just like they just still hit each other, but like. Neither of them really aim. It's very clear they don't aim at each other. They aim at the lightsaber. I know, it's so obviously like, oh, we're just going to hit each other because we can. And Obi-Wan like does that thing where he, he literally swings like Tarzan. And then the, um, the fight uh, proceeds back onto the lava um, ocean and stuff. And uh, the lava lake or whatever. And this is when the dialogue starts to dip again. Because he's just like, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's mm. that. Um but the the very last bit of the fight, I believe, is good because Anakin says, like, you know, this is the end for you, my master. Like, you know, I've always found that quite impactful mm. is that in some ways he still views Obi-Wan as um, the person who's taught him everything he knows, but he still yeah. um, wants to kill him, essentially. And that brings us to uh, the, bank f- uh, the, the, the bank where Obi-Wan... Uh, again, Meebable as ever has the high has ground. The high ground. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, Anakin jumps over him. He uh, gets cut in half, and uh, that happens. This right here is not only when Ewan McGregor's acting is at its best, but the dialogue itself yeah. really improves. Um, and Anakin looking up at him with this like ferocious hate, saying "I hate you," is just oh god, it, it's it's really soul crushing every time you watch it. I I always really have a little bit of a reaction to it when I see it, which is which is really good, and uh, it's it's a it, yeah. it does a great service to the movie in general. And when Obi Wan says like you know you are my brother, I loved you and stuff like that, oh god, that is really hard to hear, um, because mm. Obi Wan is like the prime example in terms of the Jedi that always had those feelings, but understood that they were fundamentally wrong in terms of what he stood for and as a result he did not let them uh, cloud his judgment in any way but this is the one instance where and where Obi-Wan really couldn't help it it was always there um, and, it, that, yeah. and that was of course uh, with Anakin so when he says you're my brother I loved you and stuff that is it, it means a lot so I, I, I mm. and I hope we get to see a little bit more of that and the um, impact that that brings with it in terms of the aftermath in uh, the Kenobi series hopefully but that's a whole other story yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, basically, from here, the movie really starts to wrap up because we get to see, um, yeah, you know, uh, Vader. I, I get to say your line. They're put into their New Hope starting position. Yeah, I like to. I like to. Um, I steal your line. See, I like to. I like to see it in that way. Uh, we'll get to that. But the thing I wanted to talk about right now is obviously um, the the duality of Padme's death and Darth Vader's birth, essentially. Um, 
I think this is a mm. beautifully intercut scene because obviously you get to see Luke and Leia be born. That's great. We obviously knew that was going to happen. But um, having them both on the operating table at the same time and having them intercut really well, I think was a genius move in, in terms of how to wrap that movie up. And it's always begged the question, like it's never been fully elaborated on, did Palpatine use Padme's life force to keep Anakin alive? We'll never know because it's never been confirmed. But it's a nice theory that you can think about and the way in which it's intercut sort of supports that theory but you know we'll never know um but yeah i've always just yeah. thought that you know uh padme's death and anakin's ri- and darth vader's rise was always really well intercut and one of my favorite parts of the scene itself is um basically the final stages of darth vader um uh coming to life is um when the when the helmet's being lowered onto anakin's face obviously you get to see the inside yeah. of it but then you get a very quick glimpse at anakin's face as he looks at the helmet I've always loved this scene because you can see it on his face. There's always a, uh, uh, there's almost a, a very gradual hint of, of 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 fear. Like it's almost like he's saying, like you know, oh god, what have I done to myself? Um, what have I got myself into? This is going to be my life from now on. It's almost like that was the last little bit of Anakin that was that remained before Darth Vader uh, rose. And of, and of course, the the first time you get to hear the breathing uh, is, mm. is 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 just oh, it it's gives me chills every time when you just hear the killing for the first time. So Definitely. yeah. Uh, yeah. Then Padme dies. And uh, from then on, like you said, you get to see people getting pushed into their new hope starting positions. As I say, Oh, uh, Obi-Wan. Okay. You're yeah. going to Tatooine and protect Luke. Uh, we've also got training <laughs> yep, for you. Yep. Uh, Bail Organa, my wife and I will take the girl. Um, she'll be loved with us. Um, into, ex- <laughs> into exile. I must go failed. I have. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, Darth Vader and Palpatine looking on to a um, slowly being constructed Death Star. Like, it's all there. Mm. It all works really well. And um, uh, it all works well for the most part. But again, it's obviously just there to push them into their New Hope starting positions, as we like to call them. But yeah, it still works, though. Yeah, definitely. It still works well, though. So, yeah. I think so. I think as much as sometimes it can feel contrived, I think this film definitely does a good job at changing the world from the prequel era setting up as it becomes the original trilogy and there is still a lot of more gradual change that happens over the 19 years but certainly this is that tipping point in the creation of the galactic empire definitely uh and that basically brings oh well there's something else that i really wanted to talk about is um the first is when you get to see leia and bail organa uh, return to alderaan um, you get to hear Leia's theme for the first mm. time, which fits well. And uh, yeah. it's, look, just hearing that theme again is awesome because it's one of my favorite themes in Star Wars. And um, I'm sure you got to hear it at some point because it's just a really, it's really just derivative of the main Star Wars theme itself. But when Obi-Wan drops um, uh, Luke off to um, Owen and Beru, you get to hear Luke's theme for the first time as well, which is really well done. Um, and I think that the ending of the film itself works really well because it's them looking out onto the Jewel Sons of Tatooine. I feel like that's a perfect way to end up uh, to, to finish any trilogy. Obviously the sequel trilogy had that in mind as well. Um, yep. But yeah, I like, I really like how it ends. Um, and that brings us to a close. That's the end of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um, there's obviously, like we were just talking about, a lot of positives, some negatives as well, not as many as its predecessors. But like all in all, I think the Revenge of the Sith just continues to age well as it goes on. And I enjoy it I more think so. every time I, I agree. Watch it. So, like yeah. immediate, 
immediate watch, like you can notice the problems with it. But like after subsequent watches and after it's been out for a number of years and we've received more stories with these characters, both before and after, I think definitely this film does age a lot better and holds a special place in like a lot of Star Wars fans' hearts. Yeah, I, I would agree. And like, you know, uh, like you were just, we, we talked about this uh, briefly in like other versions when we were talking about Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace about how you're, we, we, you can't, um, just think that a movie did something well because it was expanded on later. Like, that's not really, you know, fair mm, when you're critiquing yeah. a movie. But I feel like in this instance, um, the ways in which the themes explored in Revenge of the Sith have been elaborated on in things like Clone Wars and other media, it does actually make Revenge of the Sith better. Um, yeah. So I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and also, this does, like add more depth and I feel like in certain ways improve my enjoyment of the original trilogy as well. Yeah. Um, so all in all, that's, that's Revenge of the Sith. Uh, good movie. Yeah. Uh, definitely my favorite of the prequels, which brings us to our, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. which brings us to our ranking. Our ranking. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's exactly the same between the two of us. Yeah. We're pretty, pretty uh, synonymous between us. Yeah. First place, Revenge of the Sith. Second place, Phantom Menace. Mm. Third place, Attack of the Clones. Um, Yep. So yeah, that that brings uh, brings um, the uh, retrospective that of the prequels to an end, which basically means that the next time we do an installment of this, we'll be talking about the original trilogy. That'll, yeah, next, that'll be next fun. time will be uh, it, new hope. How do we critique a, a new hope of good video? How do we critique a perfect movie? Let's wonder. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, look, it's a very good movie. It's a, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I'm thinking maybe we just, um, think of a different way to go through a new hope because we've, uh, or then we have for the prequel. I don't know. We'll, we'll, like we said, we'll we'll sort that out. We'll see. Um, and that brings the, just expect more enjoyable Star Wars content on the future. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and that all in all brings this episode of the podcast to an end. Um, so we'll start wrapping it up (laughs) now. Thank you guys as always very much for listening. Um, as we've said in the COVID update that we gave a couple of days ago, um, we are slowly getting used to recording virtually Obviously, it's a little bit harder in terms mm. of uh, mic quality because we're not together and, like, you know, upload scheduling yeah. hopefully won't change that much. I don't imagine it will. I think this went well, though. I think, I think, I feel like even with all the struggles and stuff that is going on, I felt we were still able to get a genuine and enjoyable Star Wars conversation. No, I definitely agree. Um, so, yeah, I, all, all we ask, like we were talking about in the update, just, um, if there are certain problems, just be sure to give us a little bit of leeway. We want to create uh, the most enjoyable Star Wars content we can for you, and hopefully that is exactly what we've done today. In other, in other um, things that we should just mention, there will be time codes for each discussion that we've had in the description of uh, this the, this podcast. You'll be able to find them in the description below. Um, we are available on a variety of different platforms, that being Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Uh, I always enjoy naming them off. It doesn't feel forced at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're also, uh, yeah, we are also good. available on YouTube. Um, these episodes come out on uh, 12 p.m. AEST every Sunday. And then the YouTube version is available 24 hours later at the same time on uh, the Monday. We are also available on social media in, in on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to follow us there, uh, like our posts, and stay up to date with what we'll be doing. Um, and uh, rate, comment, review, and of course, uh, subscribe any in um, whatever fashion that you choose to listen to us. Uh, anything more to say, Mark? In any order. Anything more to say? Uh, no, thank you for thank you for listening. Um, uh, yeah, I think 
with everything going on. It's it's just really nice to be able to do this this Star Wars podcast every week. And so we enjoy recording it so much. So if, if you enjoy listening to it, then that means the world to us. Yeah, it does. Um, it's a nice little escape for us in a lot of um, uncertain times. So um, thank you guys as always for listening. Make, make sure to tune in next week for whatever we have to talk about. Uh, thank you again. This has been Telling, Telling the Odds. The odds.